asked us to do. Um, that uh, this, uh, this whole thing about uh, having a heart for the lost, just a desire to see our family and friends and those that we encounter in everyday life experience the abundant life that God the Father has made available to us through Jesus Christ, His Son. Uh, Infused Church is about creating encounters with God for everyone that we meet as we are led by the Holy Spirit, and it's what we do. It's where we're heading as a church. We are a soul-winning church. Um, let me just, I guess, uh, help you to, to see some things that I think that uh, God is really uh, laboring this thing in our nation right now. Uh, I'm just going to read out an excerpt from uh, the Evangelical Union at Sydney University. It was in, in their newsletter, uh, and this is what they had in their, their newsletter just recently. And it's the title, The Weekly Walk-Up. And it says, uh, sharing the gospel is not always easy. Sometimes it can be hard. Furthermore, nothing strikes fear into the hearts of students like the prospect of cold contact walk-up evangelism. I don't think that's just students. <laughs> okay. uh, year, uh, year after year, walk-up evangelism has been a staple of university student ministry because it allows us to reach new people who have no Christian fan- friends or family. It's an opportunity unique to university campuses. We have hundreds of people every hour just sitting around waiting for their next class and open to talking about the latest idea. Does that sound like New Testament as well? That's what Paul had happen in Acts chapter 17. Um, It also prepares students to share their faith with strangers and trains them to have sharper, clearer and more biblical explanations of the gospel for the rest of their lives. This excerpt went on to say, uh, this year we aimed to encourage every Bible study group, uh, about 100 plus groups, to go out and spend one week of their regular Bible study time doing cold contact walk-up. We've aimed to get 100% of the evangelical union uh, having a go at this form of evangelism in 2016, and it's been exciting to hear stories of people sharing Jesus with random strangers on campus. In the past month, we had the, uh, the Anglican uh, Youth Works Year 13 students join us for two days of practical experience. These gap year students come along to be trained and have a go at doing a day of walk-up in conjunction with other students. It says, I went out with two very nervous 13 year, uh, year 13 students, and we met a Chinese student who we'll call C., We asked C, have you ever heard about Jesus? He looked at us blankly and said, who? And over the next 30 minutes, we got to explain who Jesus is, who God is, and how all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. At the end, C asked how he could find out if this was historically true. We invited him along to our international student ministry and accepted a copy of the New Testament. We weren't sure if he was just being polite, but prayed for him as we left him. A few hours later, one of the other Evangelical Union students told me that they had watched us evangelizing C from a distance and that after we had left, C put down his uni books and opened up the copy of the New Testament that we'd given him. Simply stepping out in faith, you know, just stepping out and just trusting the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to lead us into conversations with people in our everyday world that we can start to talk about our faith, start to talk about the love of God. Paul spoke about that so well in communion. It's about just sharing who Jesus is. It's, it's, 
It's not hard to witness for Jesus or of Jesus. We simply need to step out in faith, loving Jesus to share Jesus. It's, it's about us getting over ourselves and believing that what God has done in our lives, we simply need to share. It's as simple as that. It, it, uh, people make something to be hard that I don't believe that it is hard. It's simply us having a courage to step out in faith and to share our faith with others. So I've set myself a goal and this church a goal to win one person to Jesus in the next 12 months. It's the whole idea behind our salvation board up at the front of the church. The person that I'm believing to see come to faith, their name is written on a card and it's up on that board. And every time I come into this sanctuary... Every time we have a prayer meeting on a Wednesday morning, at the early morning prayer meeting at 6.30, which is on again this Wednesday, short plug, uh, <laughs> for the, uh, the prayer meeting, we pray for all the names on that board. I'm believing that the person whose name I've written on there is going to be saved in this next 12 months, that I'm going to get an opportunity to share some of my walk, some of my story, to see this person come and get saved. Even if he says no, I'm not going to stop praying for him and I'm not going to stop being a friend to this man. I'm going to continue to reach out to him. He's not a project. He's a soul. He's a, he's a person who Jesus loves. Okay, And it's as simple as that. We, we need to be determined just to simply at least be targeted in who we're praying for in, in this next 12 months. I want to make this real clear Okay, this morning. I don't have to do this. I actually get to do this. Okay, I don't have to share my faith. I get to. I get to share my faith. I get to come to church. I don't have to come to church, but I get to. And I love that. I don't have to give. I get to give. There's a whole new understanding that we need to understand that, that God the Father wants us to walk in. You don't have to do a thing. You can get to do some great stuff, though. You know, and that's just sharing our faith. We, can, we get to share our faith. You know, because we all know that there are countries and regions around our globe where it is highly dangerous to share your faith, to proclaim that you're even a Christian. In fact, you would be martyred for your faith. Uh, praise God that that's not the case here in Australia and most of the westernized world. But uh, we get to, to do this. So as a leadership team, we've actually articulated a value in this church and we've looked at our vision and our mission and our values as a church. <clears throat> and what we've said is that we are going to be a soul-winning church. I believe that that was the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples and that commission has been given to us. It has not stopped. So we want to declare this morning that we're a soul-winning church. Now, we haven't seen a lot of souls being saved, but that's not going to stop me from declaring that we're a soul-winning church. Okay? This is something we, we're not going to like just uh, target one week and then forget the, the next. This is something we're going to ongoingly talk and lovingly encourage people to become soul winners. You are a soul winning person. You just need to, to understand that and believe that and start to, to step out in faith and, and allow God by his spirit to, to talk to the people that you share. So what we're saying is that we lovingly share about and live our faith as a witness to our world of God's love in the hope that we can win our world to Christ. 
It's taking uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 very seriously. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will give you my power, he says, and you are to go and be my witnesses in your world, wherever that is, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, whether that's Mount Barker, the Adelaide Hills, into South Australia, and out towards the uttermost parts of the world. This is what God is calling us to do. So those, mark, those words actually mark the beginning of the early church, the Christian church as we know it. They represent the heart, the calling, the purpose, and the potential of the church of Jesus Christ. They also mark, I believe, the, the greatest shortcoming of the church today. I, I, when I look around, I don't see and hear a lot about people being born again these days, of souls being saved. It happens here and there, and there are spasmodic outbursts of people being saved, and we celebrate that. You know, uh, uh, you hear of of stories even uh, um, in in, in Mount Barker where you hear some of the youth groups and some of the churches that are experiencing souls. I want to tell you right now, I I cheer that on because we are a soul-winning church, but we're a part of the kingdom of God Okay, we are not just a denomination, we're a part of the church. And when one part of the church increases and grows, I believe all of us should celebrate. Because the church just got bigger and the kingdom of God just got bigger. And that's something that, that fires me up. So today's church is great at so many things. We're great at programs, we're great at entertainment, we're great at fellowship and talk. But too often, for a, a wide variety of reasons, we rarely share our faith or talk about Jesus. I have no problem talking about Manchester United. (laughs) But sometimes I have a problem and I'm quiet when I should talk about Jesus. And it's, it's about us learning to get over ourselves to be able to share our faith. The truth is that God has made us fishers of men but we're really not interested in fishing. We're interested in watching other people fish. We're encouraged when we see other people fish. We're excited when we see someone else catch a fish. But most Christians today haven't even dropped a line in the water. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. I'm just stating a fact. This is how it is today in the church. In a day where only one third of all believers say that they have a responsibility to share their faith, how do we become what God has called us to be? And that's his witnesses. The last time I spoke about this, we began addressing the idea of desire. The desire to be Christ's witnesses in our world. That a passion for souls is implanted, that it's inspired, and it's been invited of us. This week, I want to begin to put the desire into action. How many of us would like to become soul winners for Jesus? About three quarters of you. Okay. So let me ask the question again. How many of us think that Jesus wants us to win souls? Okay. How many of us believe that, that we need to take that personally? Okay. I'm talking to the right people this morning. Excellent. <clears throat> How many of us, though, have a problem in that we want to share our faith, but we don't know how? Excellent. 
In this next 12 months, what we're going to be doing is organizing specific training in how to share our faith. Okay? We're going to organize people to come and to help us. The Gideons have a great program, how to share your faith without fear. There are other organizations that we're going to get to come in and to talk to us about how we can be equipped to share our faith. Is that going to interest anyone here this morning? Okay, so all those people that will put your hands up, I want to see your names on the register. No, I'm just messing, although I'm serious. <clears throat> so today I want to talk a bit about the how-to, okay? Uh, getting started really only requires two things of us this morning, okay? Knowing who we are and knowing who God is. When we want, on how to share our faith, how to start to have this desire outworked in our lives, we need to know who we are and we need to know who God is. So I want to look at a passage in the Bible and look at a couple of things that will help us to get started as we look at, look at this whole thing. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 is the passage I'm going to be predominantly talking out of and selecting some verses, some key verses that are going to help us to understand some things this morning. Okay, So 2 Timothy chapter 1 <clears throat> and uh, I'll start at uh, verse 3. Actually, I'll start at verse 2. I can't, so I'll start at verse 1. <laughs> Actually, I'll start at Janet. No, I won't. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you mer- grace, mercy, and peace. Verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I'll be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith, the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your, uh, your mother Eunice, and I know that some faith continues strong in you, that same faith Uh, continue strong in you this is why i remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift god gave you when i laid my hands on you for god has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power love and self-discipline so never be ashamed to tell others about our lord that's a good verse right there isn't it verse 8 never be ashamed to tell others about our lord and don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him. I just felt the Spirit of God say this, this to me this morning as I read over this just to, in my preparation just to refresh it in my mind. Sometimes we can look at someone and we think that bad things are happening in their world and stuff's going wrong in their world and we sort of like think, well, they probably deserve it or, you know, gee, that's really tough luck for them and, and that whole deal. But you know what? God worked powerfully in Paul when he was in prison. God used him in prison to set a prison on fire for Jesus. And it doesn't matter. You know, God can use us wherever we find ourselves in the journey of life. In the deepest of depression, God's using Paul powerfully to speak to us. He's going through something personally. He doesn't mind talking about it and sharing about it because he knows God can, can bring good out of the circumstances that he's walking through. You know, and I, I think that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God can use bad stuff to bring good things. That's a freebie. <clears throat> verse, uh, verse 8, I think it is, continues on, says, With the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Bible basher. If that's the worst that people can call Paul, come on. 
I used to be a policeman. I got caught seriously worse than that. Verse 9, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. That was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Even uh, this bloke, Philip uh, and Hermogenes, <clears throat> may the Lord show special kindness to Anisiphorus and all his family because he often visited and cut. Now, I had that word really down pat this morning. <laughs> that ticks me off. I can't say it. There you go. Uh, uh, Nisiphorus and his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was uh, never ashamed of me because I was in chains. And when he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. <clears throat> First thing we need to know is who we are. You need to know who you are. He says in, in verse 5, he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that that same faith is strong in you, Timothy, Paul says. See, Paul reminds Timothy of who he is. He reminds Timothy of who he is. Don't be afraid, Timothy, to do what I've instructed you to do. Remember who you are. And we need to remember who we are. Saints, we are heirs of God. We are heirs of God. We are sons and daughters of the King of all kings. We are overcomers. We are victorious. We are destined to reign, uh, the, the book of Romans tells us. That's who we are. So to get started as a witness, we need to know three things about ourselves. We need to know who we were. We need to know who we were. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. See, knowing who we were keeps us sensitive to the needs of the lost around us and keeps us from the self-righteous judgments we often make about other people. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Maybe you did. You need to remember who you were. I, I'm not as bad as them. <laughs> who says who? See, we classify sin. <clears throat> Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. 
Praise God, he set me free. Now I can help others discover freedom as well. Because I know who I was, but I also know who I am now. See, the world doesn't need more Pharisees. It needs more genuine disciples. See, we need to know also who we are. See, I'm in Christ. See, once this is my story before I met Christ, but now I'm in Christ. I've got a different heritage. I've got a different DNA in operation within my life. I'm a brand new creation. You know, what, was, what I was before is gone. But I don't, I need to, don't need to forget it. There's still people that I can relate to in my history because of my history. There's people that I can connect with and I understand the things that they're going through. I understand the pull of various things in, in, in their lives because I was subject to those same things. But now I've, been, I've got the spirit of God resting within me. I've got the power to overcome those things and I can use those things that I've got now, the spirit of God, the word of God, uh, the love of Jesus in my heart to help bring people say there's a better way of living. The devil wants to bind you up. He wants to to create hassles in your world. But you know what? There's a better way of living. And I discovered that better way because I know who I am right now. And I'm in Christ. I'm a son of God. And we need to tell people that there's a better way. There's There's a hope. There's a future that we have in our world. And his name is Jesus. The most deadly lie of the enemy is one that convinces us we're something other than what we truly are. He tries to tell you, you're a sinner. You still have those thoughts. You still get really ticked at people cutting you off in the traffic. You can still be a Christian and get ticked. Just don't let the sun go down on your anger. Work it out about that bloke who just cut you off. Deal with it before you go to bed that night. Seriously, if that's the worst thing that's happened in your world, man, you've got it going good. <laughs> the enemy uses what we were to keep us from being who we are. Listen, have a listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. You're not like that. I love that. He says, the stuff that they're talking about, you ain't like that. He says, for you are a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession, he says. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are a God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. That's who we are. Come on. Can I just grab my drink bottle, please? I just feel like getting ramped up and I've got a bit of a hoarse throat. <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> the living, uh, the trash, trashion translation, the passion translation. Brain's going a million miles an hour right now. Okay, tongue catch up. Okay. Trashion translation. <laughs> Seriously, like, hello. It's a new one. I'm just writing it myself. It's right. Corinne, you're, a, you're gold, girl, I tell you. Are we ready for the tra- passion translation? That was, all, that was always going to happen. <laughs> 
the Passion Translation. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17 to 21 of the Passion Translation says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and he's entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. We are brand new creations. The old has gone and now Jesus is asking us to be the ambassadors that someone was to us. It's like a relay race. Only it's a relay race where when we've passed the baton to someone else, we don't suddenly stop running and think, that's it, my bit's over. But it's now where we hand that baton to someone else and we shoot off on the direction that God still got us going in. And that person that we've handed the baton of salvation onto, they start on the journey for which God has got them onto and they pass the same baton to someone else. That's as simple as it gets. We are ambassadors for Christ. Gently pleading as though Christ or the Father was pleading through our lips. The Father has some things to say to the people in our world who don't know him, that he, he wants to forgive them. He wants to live with them. He wants to fill them. He wants to bless them. He wants them to live with him for eternity in glory with him. He wants none to perish. And that's the, the message. We, he, he loves you. He cares about you. He wants to forgive you all the things. He's even made a way where, where that if you, if you just trust in Jesus and you just you know, ask for forgiveness, God the Father will give it to you because he's released it through Jesus. This is what we've got to start to understand, that this is how we share the simple message of the gospel. We are new creations, born for a purpose. People say to me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in church now. I don't know what my, my ministry is. It's simple. You're an ambassador. Just ambassador. The fact of my birth is evidence that my purpose is necessary and not finished. God has got people he wants you to talk to about him. The other thing we need to know, the third thing we need to know, not only who we were, who we are, 
But we need to know who God made us to be. So Paul encourages Timothy in verse 6 of this passage. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul doesn't encourage to be, uh, Timothy to be another Paul. He says, you be you. You need to be you. Church, you need to be you. Seriously, we don't need another one of you. You don't need another one of me, I can tell you right now. God has created you with specific skills, abilities, with talents, with strengths, with weaknesses, with pitfalls, with, with vision, with everything that you've got. See, my, my, my history as, as a policeman tells me that there's something significant about you. Okay? So if there's a, a crime that occurs at a particular place, what they'll do is get the CSI to come out and have a look. And they'll spread their little magic dust around, and all of a sudden you'll see that there's fingerprints all over the place. And so we know exactly who has done that crime because the fingerprints are there. So every one of us all right, have got fingerprints. So we, we know that a person's fingerprints match to a person. So have a look at your fingers. Have a look right now. Just check out your hand. Okay, just check out your index finger. That's the index finger. Okay, That one there. Have a look at that one finger, the fingerprint. Okay, That fingerprint there that you have got is unique to you. The likelihood of someone else in this planet having that same fingerprint is remote. Okay, You've got nine other fingers. The, the possibility, that, that it might be possible that on that, just that first knuckle joint there, that someone may have your fingerprint. But then you look at all the other fingers that you've got and the palm of your hand, it becomes even more remote that someone has that same fingerprints in conjunction with all the rest of the same fingerprints that you have on the rest of your hands. Start to think about your DNA as well. See, you're unique. God has made only one of you because he knows the world can only cope with one of you. <laughs> He's made you for a purpose. He's not calling you to be Billy Graham. We've got one. Job position's filled. You don't need to be a Kevin Deadman or a, a Reinhardt Bonnke. Positions filled. We've already got them. God the Father just wants you to be you. God the Father just wants you to be you. And he's saying, with you, job done. I don't need it to create another you because you're already here. It's so important that we know this. It's, it, it, he's got things and, and gifts in our lives because he wants to use those gifts. Have a listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, out of the Passion Translation. I've been practicing that in my head all morning. Verses 6 to 8, Romans chapter 12 says, God's marvelous grace imparts to each of us varying gifts and ministries uniquely ours. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. If your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. 
If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. If you've got the grace gift of encouragement, then use it to to often encourage others. If you've the grace gift of giving to meet the needs of others, then may you prosper in your generosity without any fanfare. If you've the gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have the gift of showing compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. Okay? God's given us these gifts. We've got to activate them. We've got to use them. Otherwise, they lay dormant and they, they start to, to get cobwebs and dust. It's just it's a mess. All right? so just, we need to use them and start to activate them. See, the second thing we need to know is who God is. We need to know who God is. In Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, He who has saved us. God who saved us and called us to a holy life. He said, so there's several things that we need that are important here that will help us to get started. Salvation, conviction, and the change that happens within a person's life are all God's job, not ours. Okay? God's not calling us to save the world, to convict the world of sin, or to change the lives of people. That is God's job. He's called us simply to be his witnesses. We can talk about the change that will happen as a result of giving our lives to God, because we can talk from personal experience. But I'm not, my job's not to convict people of sin. I'm not the fourth person of the Godhead. A lot of people think they are. A lot of people use the Bible to bash people. And I don't think that Paul would have bashed people, to be honest. I know him. I know what Paul's like. I think he would have said that in, in love, in genuine care. Might have been able to say it a bit differently, but don't I think for one instant he would have bashed people with it. See, we need to know who God is. That means that our role in this partnership is limited. All I need to do is to be a witness. The action of witnessing is our responsibility. The results are God's. He speaks to them. His word touches their life. His Holy Spirit moves in them. See, the second thing we need to understand about God is that that God is always there first. We think we're the first person to talk to this person about faith. We think we're the first person that's ever going to share Jesus with this person. But there's a guy by the name of Dennis Kinlaw, a theologian, and in his book, Preaching in the Spirit, he relates an unfailing law of witnessing. Okay? And he calls this the second law of, uh, of witness. It's the law of the second witness, I beg your pardon. It's the, second, the law of the second witness. He says this in his book. He says, The one who shares is never the first witness in a hearer's life. God himself is already there before us. The Holy Spirit has been at work in every person's life in numerous ways long before we speak the word of truth to them. So we never approach someone cold. We can be sure that the Spirit of God is already at work before we've even uttered the first word of our testimony. I don't know about you, but that takes the pressure off a little bit. I'm not the first person that's actually spoken to this person about Jesus. God's been at work in their life, possibly from their childhood, where they went to Sunday school where they saw the Christmas message in some way, shape, or form. They experienced Easter 
and what that means. We're not the first person to talk to them. God's been speaking to these people already. I think that's fantastic. It just takes the pressure off a little bit. Here's the third thing about God. God will use whatever we bring. God will use whatever we bring. Here's the thing. Adam brought a rib. God used it. Moses brought his staff. David brought a slingshot. Joseph brought his wisdom. The Shunammite woman brought her jars and God filled them. God will use whatever we bring. It may look like something small and that we use every single day, but God will use it. See, David tried to use Saul's armor and his weaponry, but it was unfamiliar to him because he hadn't used it every day. He wasn't an expert in how to use that, that, that stuff that Saul had. What, what David was an expert at was the thing that he had in his pocket that most childhood kids have in their pockets in my generation used to have much to the neighbor's disgust <laughs> as a slingshot he he was an expert at this this slingshot he could he, he knew how to use a slingshot and it's the same thing with us whatever we bring to god god will use because we're familiar with it i'll my, my, my mother-in-law is a wonderful woman. Honestly, she really is. She's a, a wonderful woman. I love her dearly. She's treated me like the son that she never had. That's true. But also, I, I look to her in a way that, you know, like the mum that I never grew up with as a, as a child as well. But my, my, my mother-in-law is adept at using just a, the, the old handphone, you know, that you pick it up and like that, Okay. She's recently got a smartphone. I'll tell you, it's just not happening. Okay, I love my mother-in-law, but she's got no clue on technology. Okay, why? It's unfamiliar. It's unfamiliar. Until she starts to learn how to use that and become adept at using that, she's got no clue. She, taking photos, she's getting better at taking photos. There's actually people in them now. Okay, so there's, God will use whatever we bring. God will use whatever we bring. It might be our cooking that God can use. It might be our servant heart. It might be our power tools that we know how to use, most of us. It might be our wisdom, our encouragement. It might be our phones. God can use our Facebook account or our Twitter account. God can use our passion, our love. Our songwriting ability, our voices. It might be our history and our experiences or our hearts that God can use. Whatever we bring, God will use if we make it available to him. If we're obedient, God will not only put the words in our mouths, he'll speak his words in the other person's ears. That's God's job. All we need to do is to use what we bring. Or to, to, to bring what God is going to use. Here's, here's the thing, okay? I preach messages here, and sometimes people come up to me afterwards, and they say, man, that was an incredible message. It's like you're reading my mail. Like, have you been standing outside of my kitchen window, like listening to all the conversations that are going on in our house? How did you know that? And well, it's just simply God's talking to them. 
Okay? There's some people that come up to me and they say, oh, I got this incredible revelation out of what you're talking about. And they start to tell me this revelation. I'm thinking, I never said that. What, what, have you been, you've got me mixed up with another preacher. You haven't heard what I've said. No, they heard what I said, but the Holy Spirit made it real in a way that was personal to them. It doesn't matter what you say. Just say it. To Timothy, have a listen to this. No matter what you bring, if you use what you have, God will do the rest. See, have a listen. To Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Everyone say, praise God. You weren't supposed to say, praise God. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5 says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Okay? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, Timothy is already in Ephesus. He's already ministering amongst its people. And Paul charges him solemnly to preach the word. It almost sounds like Paul saying to, uh, that Timothy's taking a backward step and he's trying to encourage him to take that forward step once more. But here's the thing. Timothy had a choice to make. Do I... Or don't I? Do I speak up? Do I do the work of an evangelist? Or don't I? Because there's a conscious decision that comes with that choice. Either I am going to speak up or I'm going to remain silent. People have, have, have used an oft-used statement about speaking the word of God out as an excuse not to share about Jesus. When people say, you know... Um, Talk, uh, as often as you can, uh, win people to Jesus, and if you have to, use words. I think it's a cop-out, because there are some times when it is okay to be silent, and people will see your lifestyle, but there are other times we must speak up. When there's laws going through our government, when there's unrighteousness happening in government levels, Christians must stand up and speak. When someone's in a youth group, is contemplating that they wish that they never woke up. Someone has to speak up. When there's someone going through an illness, an incredibly difficult time, their marriage is on the rocks, their relationships are in tatters, someone needs to speak up. When someone is going through a hard time and their finances aren't making ends meet, sometimes you don't need to speak up. You just need to slip an envelope in their letterbox that's got some cash in it. What is the Spirit of God saying to us about what we need to do personally? Then the question we need to ask ourselves is, like Paul is asking Timothy, are you going to do this or aren't you? And that's the question I believe that the Holy Spirit is asking us. Are you going to be a witness or aren't you? And the challenge is laid out. 
my, my predominant gift is that of encouragement. I'm encouraging us to be witnesses. But I also need to, to challenge people at times and say to us as a church, I encourage us to do this, but I also challenge you to do this. Who is the one person you're believing to see come to faith in the next 12 months? And secondly, is, is their name on the board? Now, I'm not saying if you put the name on the board that they're going to get saved. But what it is, is a step of faith saying, I am believing and I'm challenging myself. I'm encouraging myself. I'm going to write that two cards out. One person, one, one card I'm going to put their name, I'm going to put on the board. The other card I'm going to take there, I'm going to put that same name on that card and stick it in my wallet or my purse. I prefer a wallet. I'm going to carry that with me. And every, every time I see that card, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to ask God for opportunities. Our encouragement to, and a challenge to all of our connect groups is this. We must spend a part of our time as a connect group asking each other, Paul, how did you go catching up with Simon the other bloke? And I remember you you're talking about praying for Simon. Did you have a chance this week? Didn't see him? Let's pray for an opportunity. Let's believe together that there's an opportunity to share your faith with Simon this week. It's not saying, oh, well, well try harder. We don't do that. That's not what we do at Infused Church. Okay? What we do do is say, Paul, let's pray. Let's, get, let's, let's bring this person before Christ. Let's pray for his salvation together. And then Paul says to me, how did I go with, how did I go with Simon? I had an opportunity. We had a coffee together. And it was just a, a, a divine, like a divine moment. And we just spoke together about some stuff. He didn't step across the line. He didn't give his heart to Christ right there. But he's on the journey. Paul says to me, let's pray that he steps across the line. That's what we need to do. That's what we're encouraging our connect groups to do. We're being strategic in this time about praying for the lost, about seeing people saved. Because I look around this room this morning and there are empty seats. And we've got time slots that we could actually make available so we could pray for other people and see them come. And we can have a service with people just like you here and fill this place numerous times during the week. Can we stand this morning? See, God can give us the desire and I can equip us to be able to share our faith. But only you can choose to start. Only you can say, today I make the decision. I am getting in the game and I will share my faith and I will be a witness for Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the challenge that you've issued to us. And right now I ask you, Lord God, to make this challenge real. And help us to make a decision that we are going to be a soul winner. I am going to be a soul winner. If you believe that, say that out loud. I am going to be a soul winner. That's my declaration. I am going to be a soul winner. 
I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to stretch out. I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to challenge myself to be a soul winner. In Jesus' mighty name. Just as every head's bowed, every eye closed this morning, I'm going to just, there might be someone here. I know that we have a number of visitors. And I don't know where everyone's at on the journey of faith, but it would be remiss of me not to give you an opportunity to step across the line and to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Romans 10 verses 9 to 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So this morning, I want to ask everybody, If you haven't received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never invited him into your life, but this morning you want to, you feel that you need to, you, you feel like something is drawing you and, and speaking to you. You don't know what it is. I, I'm going to tell you it's the Spirit of God talking to you right now. So if, if you've never done that, but this morning you say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. Would you put your hand up? I would love to pray with you. Does anyone here this morning want to receive Christ for the first time? Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit in them and on them. And right now I ask you to bless them, to encourage them in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.